Well, amen. And we are really grateful that everybody's joining us here. We are inside, as, um, which is something new for us. We were outside the last couple of weeks. So as we uh, continue to get situated, we're, we're really grateful that you're here. Um, again, if you're a guest um, of us or you're a friend of someone who invited you, um, man, we just welcome you. We're really honored that you're with us. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, we're just really grateful that you're here. Um, so here's what, uh, what I know is that we, are, we find ourselves in the midst of a historic event. We find ourselves in the midst of one of the most life-changing events that you and I will ever have. This is the moment where we will, our kids will tell the stories about where they were during COVID-19. What were they doing? What were their parents like? Uh, what was it like to, to quarantine at home, right? These are the things that they'll look back on when they, when they meet their husband and they meet their wife and they'll talk about, I mean, where were you during that time? Um, and I, I, you know, there, things have changed so rapidly in the last month for our lives. Um, it's really been um, jarring on so many different levels, right? There's been no school, schools at home. And I don't know about your school district, but our school district, they're not even taking grades, which I think is fantastic until this coming up week. They'll start taking grades, I'm sure. Uh, but no school. There's no, there's, no, there's no gathering of the saints, at least not more than 10 people. Um, like it, it, things are just different and there's no end in sight on this. And I don't want to be bleak, but I do want to be real, right? Is like there are things that are going to change in our culture that go far beyond school and gathering as an assembly of God's people. Um, Dr. Fauci, who you have, I, we didn't know who that guy was until a month ago, but he, he's now um, preferring and even starting to talk about how we should never shake hands again as a society and as a culture. Things are changing, and they have changed dramatically, but as dramatic as that change has been for us in the last week, it all pales in comparison, pales in comparison to the life-changing, earth-shattering event that happened almost 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And what was the thing that changed those many years ago? Well, let's read in God's Word in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, to kind of get our bearings together this morning. This is what God's Word says. This isn't made up. This is something that God passed down to us uh, through His Scriptures. This is what the Bible says in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it, as if to say, yeah, I conquered that. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards who were there to make sure no one stole the body, the guards who were there trembled, and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he has said. Now come see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. And so they departed quickly and from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Would you pray with me? Father, would you open up our minds to see the truth? Would you, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear what you want us to hear? Would you give us a mind to understand and perceive the truth that you've laid out for us? And would you give us hearts to believe? We love you, and we're so grateful that you are not a God um, who is carved, who is, who is sitting up on our dashboard to keep us safe. You're not a God who also isn't still up on the cross or still in a tomb. No, you are a God who is out of the box, out of the, the, the side of the hill that was chiseled by man. Now you are loose. You are reigning and ruling over every inch of our lives and of this world. And we are so grateful that that's the truth that we proclaim and stand in today. Would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you guide us, comfort us, and counsel us along the way? We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So did you notice a few things in the scripture reading that we just had of Matthew 28, 1 through 10? If you noticed a few things that were world-shaking, earth-shattering, truly there was an earthquake. There was an earthquake on Good Friday and now a second earthquake here on Easter Sunday. There was this angel that came down from heaven, and he was so terrifying that the guards, the bravest people they could find, the Roman guard by the tomb, they fell down like dead men. It's kind of ironic that um, they're supposed to be alive and guarding a dead man, and they fell down and looked like dead men. They weren't playing possum. They instead were so terrified that the only thing they could do was play dead so that the angel didn't kill them. And the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. Why? I don't think it had anything to do with the earthquake. I don't think it had anything to do with the angel coming down, although that could have been part of it. I think instead, the reason why they were so terrified is because there was a dead man walking. There was a dead man now alive, and they had no idea where he was or what he was up to. Yes, this dead man tr truly and still lives today. You see, in our crisis, in their crisis, what we have to understand is that in every crisis, God is doing something great. And though he seems distant, there is good news, friends. There is good news in God's absence. There's good news in God's absence. Let me tell you what I mean from the scriptures in verse 6. Look at what it says. Look at, look, look at this. What they want, what the angels want the, the women to see is something that isn't there anymore. It's the fact that God is not laying there. Verse 6, look at what it says. He is, this is the angel speaking to the women. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Come see the place where he isn't. Come see the, 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 the body that actually you don't see the body. You only see uh, the, the linens that were left by Jesus. Come and see the place where he isn't anymore. You see, there is good news in God's absence. See, Mary and Mary went to the tomb on Sunday morning, went to the tomb on, uh, at the break of dawn, not because they expected Jesus to be alive, but because they were bringing, Luke tells us, spices with them to anoint his body for proper decomposition. They were expecting him to still be in the grave, but he 
Jesus didn't meet their expectations. No, he did something far greater. You see, it was what was absent that day that changed the world forever. And friends, whatever crisis we find ourselves in, I can guarantee you it wasn't as deep and dark as theirs was on Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and now Easter Resurrection Sunday. But I will say this, that when God seems absent, rest assured, friends, when God seems absent, rest assured that God is doing his best work. When he seems far off, when he seems distant, when he seems late, he is doing his best work in you, raising you from the grave as well. If you've ever felt disappointed by God, which I think we all have, if you've ever felt like he, he, he just didn't live up to the billing of being a loving God or a present God, if you've ever wondered why he's let suffering and injustice roll on, if he seems apathetic to you, then this is good news because the empty grave tells us that he's not doing anything that we expect him to do. See, the place where he lay is our great reminder that God is doing something greater than we could ever ask or imagine. That it is often in his absence that we sense his presence the most. When he's not doing what we think he should do, we start to sense his presence the most. You see, the women expected him in the grave. The guards expected him to be still dead. I wonder, how about you on this Easter Sunday? Do you think that he's just on the sidelines of life? Do you think he's apathetic? Do you think he's winking at sin? Is he silent in your suffering during corona time or normal time to come through for you? You see, he may not give us the immediate answers to pray or a yes to everything that we ask. But the resurrection shows us that God is something uh, God is up to something that we cannot see. In the resurrection, the empty tomb shows us that this is good news. You see, God loves to shatter our expectations. He loves to shatter our expectations, right? And if you're thinking, if you're just kind of just jumping in here and this is your first gathering with any church in the last since East, since Christmas or last Easter. If you just think this is convenient spin or preacher talk, uh, let me just let me. Would you lend me your ear? You're dialed in. Let me just lend me your ear a little bit because it's not just convenient spin or naive or a fairy tale. Perhaps this is what you've chalked all this up to, right? Maybe you heard this as a kid and you just kind of counted it as you know a, a fairy tale, like whatever Mother Goose would say. But let me. Just assure you, friends, I, I, I understand. I'm with you. I am by nature cynical and, and skeptical. I have to challenge most, th most thoughts and, and research for myself. But there is hard evidence to believe that this was an actual historical event on the calendar on this resurrection Sunday. You see, if, if this story was made up, surely the disciples would have excluded the women to be the first witnesses um, at the empty grave. They were not counted as credible witnesses in court, and surely they would have been excluded from this story. But you know what? In all four gospel accounts, women are the first ones at the empty grave. See, there's some hard evidence like that. There's hard evidence like the disciples' life that every, every single one of them gave up their life for this message, gave up their life uh, for the risen Jesus. That's significant because at this point in the story, they're still hiding out, wondering if they're going to be next, if they're going to be strung up on a cross by the Romans and the Jews. 
But you see, their lives got turned around when they saw the risen king out of the grave, wandering about the earth in Galilee and in Jerusalem, fulfilling every promise that was ever made about the Messiah. And when they saw him, their lives changed immediately. So that Thomas would die in southern India, and Peter would be crucified upside down, and and John would be exiled to the island of Patmos, and many others would be killed and beheaded and and they're like run through with a spear, boiled alive, sawn in two. I mean, these are the stories that are told of these disciples, right? Something has changed. This isn't just a fairy tale. This is something that these men and women gave their lives up so that you and I, some 2,000 years later, could not just proclaim on the internet, but believe in our hearts. Or maybe you're not cynical. Maybe you're not skeptical about the hard evidence. Maybe you've come to the empty grave this morning, and you're just disappointed. Maybe you've, you've been expecting God to do something that he actually never promised to do. Maybe you've tried Jesus out. Maybe you tried, like you, 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 you heeded some advice from a friend when they said, man, your marriage is in trouble. Your, your, your kids are off the rails. You need to come to church. You need to try Jesus. He'll fix everything. And then he doesn't, because he actually didn't promise to do that before he rescued you from your sin. But that was the goal, that he wanted to, to resurrect our hearts, much less have a good marriage or obedient children, right? Trying Jesus, though, hasn't worked for you, and now your hardened skepticism stands guard at the empty tomb, not letting you go in and see where he lay. Friends, may I ask you, may I plead with you to lay your guard down and see where he lay. See the empty tomb. See the evidence that God truly is alive today. It's not just something that we naively think about or believe in. It is the good news of God's Son being crucified, dead, and alive again on the third day. You see, God, uh, I don't think he enjoys to shatter our expectation, but he does love us enough to shatter our expectation. Um, Let me just say this, right? So God wants to strip us away of those second things that we've put in first place. You see, Jesus has always been in the business of disappointing people. Um, I love one of my favorite definitions of leadership is disappointing people at a pace that they can handle, and Jesus was the master at that. If you read through the Gospels, what you find is in John 6, after he feeds the 5,000. I mean, could you imagine the scene? Masses of people, and the Bible says in John 6 that they tried to take him by force to be their king. And Jesus did not rise to the occasion. Instead, the Bible says that he withdrew from them. He just disappeared and would not live up to their expectations in that moment. If you read in Mark 4, there's this man that was living amongst the tombs, right? A very pertinent message for us. He was living amongst the tombs. He had a demon inside of him. In fact, he had many demons inside of him. And Jesus goes and exercises those demons. And that man, after being in the tombs for who knows how long with no friends, looks at Jesus. And the Bible says in Mark 4 that he pleaded, he begged with Jesus that he might go with him. And Jesus says, no, no, you can't come with me. Go back to your town, go back to your village, go back to your family and friends and, sh- and show them and tell them the kind of mercy 
that God has had on you. See, that's a disappointing, disorienting time for the people that gathered around that, that were, were feeding and also the man that was healed that had a demon in him. But it wasn't just people. It wasn't just a man in a tomb. It was also those close to him that he disappointed. You see, it was also Peter when, when Jesus was teaching about what the Son of Man must do, that he must suffer, that he must die, that he must be killed, and that he will rise again. What happened in Mark 8? Except that Peter took him aside and said, Dead body, Jesus, will you die? And Jesus, being the great leader that he is, disappoints Peter in the For you have the things of man in mind and not the things of God. The list could go on, right? There's the rich young ruler. There are many others throughout all of Scripture that have been disappointed by God. And maybe that's you. Maybe your disappointment stands guard at the empty tomb and you, you just can't see his goodness. You can't see his faithfulness. Friends, come closer. Hear the stories of the saints over thousands of years. And I don't know what dreams or what baggage that, is, that you've brought to the empty tomb today, but I do know that the resurrection means that your disappointment can be turned into joy if you would just seek the Jesus who was crucified. You see, isn't that one of the keys in this text? Like the angels say to the women in verse 5, don't be afraid, ladies. Why? Because I know that you seek the Jesus who was crucified. You don't seek a Jesus that was made up in your mind. You don't seek the Jesus, the blasphemer. You don't seek the Jesus that they wanted to crucify. You seek the Jesus that truly was Jesus, not a made-up version of him that he just winks at sin. No, instead, a raised-up Messiah who died for sin. Not an apathetic Jesus who cruelly sees our pain and refuses to answer our prayers. No, no, but the, the God who so saw our, our position in life, dead, and he stepped out of heaven to rescue us from sin, from darkness, and from death. See, that's what has risen from the, the grave. That's the Jesus that is not here, that is risen just as he said he would. See, that's the most life-changing news for all who would believe. That's why this week you probably have seen some of your friends on, on Facebook saying that Jesus changed my life. He made me alive because this isn't just a historical event that happened in Jerusalem. This is a spiritual event that's happened in all of our lives and in our hearts for all who would just come to the empty grave and see him for who he really is. It's this spiritual reality for all of us. And so it's, it's described in Ephesians 2, this spiritual reality for us. I'm going to turn there. It'll come up on the screen. But it's Ephesians 2. That's the reality that we celebrate, not just this, this historic event, but this spiritual event that has happened in all of our hearts. It's, it's why you heard your friends tell about the, uh, they, 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 they went to church growing up. They grew up going to church, but God just seemed absent on the sideline. It's why you heard your friends tell you on Facebook and whatever other social media this week that they grew up, grew up without God or they tried to earn other people's approval and it never worked apart from Jesus. And do you know why? Because God buried them where they were and he made them alive. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. The things that we got disappointed about doesn't matter anymore. Let me show you what I mean out of Ephesians 2. Read this with me if you would. 
and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, that's a disappointing statement. That's a disappointing statement that God would say you were dead. You were buried. You were in a grave. And, and in that grave, you're spiritually in which you once walked. This is your, your lifestyle, right? You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. That's a hard statement that we followed Satan. It's now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's the same spirit that's working its way out in everybody that would not obey God himself. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out, this is what we did, we carried out the desires of the body, of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. We did not somehow just come up with this on our own. No, we deserved wrath just like everyone else, right? Verse 4, right? But God, this is where the resurrection comes in, that but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we followed Satan, even when we were in active rebellion against him, right? What did he do? He made us alive together with you have been saved. You see, that's what we just sang about. That's the song of our hearts, not just on Easter, but on every day that God has made us alive together with him by grace and not of works. That's why the resurrection matters today. It's not just that we get to see all these facts or just we get to just kind of think about what may have happened 2,000 years ago. It's we celebrate this with deep joy in our hearts for all who believe because God has raised us from the dead. That's the beauty of today, that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how long this crisis uh, prevails over our lives, no matter how long that we've been in a, in a record of sin following Satan, just absolutely gratifying our own desires, no matter how long that's been your story, the resurrection calls us to a new story, that God is making you new. God is making all things new. And as he does, check this out. No matter where you are today, God has come to you. God meets us where we are. Back in Matthew 28, verse 7, look at how God meets these women, the first witnesses on the road of, uh, 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 to the grave. Look at what happens on that road in verse 7 through 10. The angel continues and he says, Then go quickly and tell Jesus' disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. And so in verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And he ran to tell the disciples, verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! I just, I love that. I just think it's so powerful. Greetings be unto thee! Uh, but nonetheless, the greetings to you, right? And so he goes on in verse 9. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid in your worship. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I think it's a fascinating passage for so many different reasons, much less the resurrection of Jesus. But 
these women would have been much like you and I. You see, the men in this story, they're all cuddled up together in the upper room, but the women are courageously headed to the empty, gra empty grave, and when they're there, they're also afraid. You see, Jesus doesn't come down and condemn them for their fear. He meets them where they are with a pleasant greeting. Grace to you. Rejoice, in fact, is what that word means. See, Mary, Mary, we're told to go tell the disciples. And you know what question was in their mind, most likely, probably, as they ran on the road back to this upper room? They're probably thinking, you think they're going to believe us? I mean, do you think, why in the world would Jesus reveal himself to us, these women on the road with him? Why not reveal himself to the disciples, his, his boys up in the upper room? Because God's doing something different than we expect him to do. He's doing something greater. He's inviting those that were on the fringes of society into this story. And they were in fear of that new reality. See, here's what I know, that wherever you are in the journey, the journey of faith has two companions. Fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. I want you to see that in the scripture because that's what they're in, right? They, they left, they went quickly, and they had fear, and they had great joy. Joy. It's not great fear and some joy. It's fear and great joy. See, this is a normal experience for us to have mixed emotions, for us to have to weigh out our motives, for us to have to figure out, I don't know if I can do that. I'm afraid you're not the first. Man, you are not the first to be afraid that when God tells you to go do something, and you go, ah, ugh, I'm not gifted like that, Lord. No, instead, he's drawing you near, meeting you where you are, and equipping you for the task at hand. But the only thing that will get you past fear is the greater joy that you may have. See, when he asks you to do something strange or different or weird according to custom, or whatever it may have been or may be in the future, there's a greater joy that purposes you forward. You see, this greater joy is that we can admit our sin. We don't, have to, we don't have to pretend like we have it all together. No, instead, we admit our sin knowing that the condemnation, the judgment that we stored up for ourselves was fully paid for by Jesus on Good Friday. And it was fully uh, triumphed over today on Easter Sunday with the empty grave. You see, the joy uh, that, that, that pulls us forward out of fear is, is this joy of being able to actually experience the love of God and not just acknowledge that He is a loving God. It's this joy of being chosen to be in a relationship with God, not knowing about the relationship, not just hearing that other people talk about it, but actually being in one where He listens to you and He answers you through the Scriptures and through the Spirit. It's this joy of being adopted into His family. So whatever your family was like, you have a joy of being adopted into God's family. You have a joy of being raised from the dead in our hearts. We have joy of being accepted because of God's grace in our life, not because of works. That's the greatest news ever. It's not because you're good that he accepts you. That's not why he does it. It's because we were sinners and he has reconciled us. He accepts us because of Jesus' goodness on our behalf. We have joy of having the Holy Spirit to counsel us and guide us, and, and we have joy in joining God in His great mission of the renewal of all things. See, that's the Christian life. 
Yes, it's about having a better marriage and having beautiful children and being fruitful and multiplying upon the earth. But more than that, it is joining God and seeing the renewal of all things, starting in my own heart and in yours, and then it just flourishes out from there. So will we have trouble? Yeah, yep. Yeah, we're going to have trouble on this journey. We're going to be, at times, terrified in fear. I, I love the saying, faith over fear. But this, this, this resurrection passage is saying joy. Joy over fear. We're going to have trouble. We're going to fail. We're going to fall short. There is no doubt we're going to face tribulation. Jesus promised it. He guaranteed we would have tribulation in John 16. But Jesus meets us on the road of obedience. Jesus meets us on this road of faith along with Mary and Mary, and he finds us frightened. He finds you disoriented. He finds those, those, his, his, those that have abandoned him, those that have deserted him, those that have run out on him in the upper room. And you know what he does? He calls them brothers. Go and tell my brothers that I'll meet them in Galilee. He doesn't condemn us for being afraid or being unfaithful. Praise God for that, because that's not why he loved us anyways. He loves us. Because of his son. He loves us because he loves us. That's his character. He encourages us with his presence and he commissions us on his purpose. And so there's this great response that he's asking all of us to consider this morning and every day. What will be our response? See, on the road that day, the women in verse 9, they fell down at his feet and they clung to him and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. And you know what? This is how you know Jesus is the Messiah. You know how Jesus is God? He doesn't condemn them and say, don't worship me. No, no. He says, don't be afraid, Mary and Mary. Go and tell your brothers. Go tell my brothers. I'm going to meet him in Galilee. I ain't coming up to the upper room today. Not right now. I'll meet him in Galilee. He does go into the upper room later that evening, but only to prove that the women weren't crazy. They were telling the truth. He tells the truth. And this is where we land today. So where we land today on Easter Sunday in 2020 as we're all quarantined in our homes is this decision on response. Will we worship or will we be like the Jewish leaders in verses 11 through 15? That when the guards came and told them the story that the, the tomb was empty, the body was gone, the Jewish leaders looked at those guards and said, I'll tell you what, we're going to pay you a large sum of money to tell everyone that his disciples came and stole the body. And if the Romans come and give you trouble, we'll pay them to agree to this story as well. So we can worship, or we can just cover it up, like we just made a mistake, right? We can worship him, or we can just pretend it doesn't matter. We can pretend that this, that this Jesus is still in the grave or on the cross, or wherever you prefer him to be, still in a box somewhere, but Jesus, he is out of the grave. He is out of the box. He is, he is inviting us into this uncomfortable journey of faith where we will have fear and great joy. Where we will have to count what it costs every single day. Man, Lord, I know you want me to forgive my enemies. What's that going to cost me? And then what greater joy will I have in doing so? So what will be your response? We will either worship or we will set this aside and try to keep him in the grave. But see, our God, our God, for anyone who is struggling with that decision, who hasn't made that decision yet, our God is out of the box. He is out of the grave, and He is on the loose. And He will inconvenience your wallet, 
and he will inconvenience your marriage and how you raise your kids and how you work and how you run your business and how you corona time. He will inconvenience But the greater joy of finding him on that road, the greater joy of hearing his words of saying, don't be afraid, it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. That is a greater joy that will pull us forward. You see, our preferences to keep God tame, to keep him in the grave, will only carry us so far, friend. The grave is empty. God is on the loose, and he has come to invite sinners to experience the kind of love that raises dead people from the grave. He doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. That's an earth-changing experience that he's inviting all of us to trust to experience on a daily basis and to hope into the days ahead, far beyond corona time. See, our hope isn't going back to normal. Our hope remains the same, that God is making all things new, even us. So I'm asking you, will you join Jesus on this journey with the risen Savior? Will, will you leave his grave and worship him and, and if, you're, if you're wondering how to do that, man, we, want, we, want to, we want to follow up with you. We want to come alongside you in your journey. And so perhaps you can message us on Facebook. You can reach out to us in the chat or on YouTube. Or you can email me, lance at thegrovechurch.net. We want to follow alongside of you. We want to invite you to follow Jesus in all of life. You see, the good news of God's absence is that God doesn't do we expect of him. He's up to something far greater. And though he seems absent, he's never been absent in our lives. And instead, he just doesn't fit into the box that we've chiseled away for him. You see, he is resurrecting us, and he's resurrecting you from spiritual death. And he's bringing you hope in the midst of whatever disorientation you've experienced lately. Would you pray with me?